Welcome to Conversations on Conversations, the show where each week we explore a topic that can help us all have deeper conversations with ourselves and with other people to build more powerful relationship. I'm your host, Sarah Noel Wilson, and this week joining me is Dr. Chris Wildermuth. Now, uh, before I talk about all the ways that I love her, let me give you the formal, uh, the formal bio. Dr. Chris Wildermuth is an associate professor at Drake University, Des Moines, Iowa, where she directs the Master of Leadership Development. Originally from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, Dr. Wildermuth has traveled extensively conducting leadership development programs in various countries in Latin America and in Europe, and I've been able to join her on some of those trips. Dr. Wildermuth's main research interests are leadership ethics, employee engagement, and global leadership. She frequently speaks in national and international conferences and is the author of Diversity Training, published by the Association of Talent Development. Her articles have been published far and wide in various academic journals, such as the Journal of Business Ethics, the Journal of Leadership Education, and the Journal of Psychological Issues in Organizational Cultures. So I cannot wait for you all to meet Chris. Dr. Wildermuth. I'll kill, I'm going to call you Chris if that's, are you, I mean, that's how we know each other. Is that okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. kind of laughing here because every, every time I listen to this bio, I'm thinking, yeah, 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 I know I did this stuff, but that doesn't sound like, <laughs> <laughs> like it doesn't say that I like to play a stupid app called Game of Sultans and that I'm very proud of myself because I reached 2.8 billion in it. And then I enjoy finding new technology toys or right. Like it's, it doesn't feel like me, even though it's it, it doesn't No, you're, we're going to have to work on that. You're going to learn a lot about Chris through this conversation. And also Chris is somebody who is going to be a reoccurring uh, guest and guest host on the show. So we want to introduce her to you all early. I, for those of you who are unaware, uh, I met Chris actually when I was a student at Drake going through the program and she was this, you know, professor, unlike any teacher I'd ever had. She, <laughs> she challenged the system. She taught in a way that I had never experienced, but it was one of the first times that I had experienced what learning could look like for me. And since that time, over the many years, we've just formed a strong relationship. We collaborate on a ton of stuff. And she is a big reason why I'm here in front of you, because she's the one who all those years ago said, Sarah, I think you should consider speaking. And I said, what would I have to say? <laughs> and she's like, a lot. Uh, so with that, I'm so excited. Chris, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sarah. This is so much fun. I'm uh, and and what else? I mean, you already started to talk, but what else would you want people to know about you? Um, okay, other than Game of Sultans and and technology <laughs> toys. <laughs> okay, wait, wait. We've got to pause there for a second because just side note: every single time that Chris and I have a conversation, at some point, she's like, "Yeah, I use this, you know, uh, booble." <laughs> site don't you use that and every time it's something different and it's always amazing and the, my answer is always no no Chris I, I don't know about that but sorry please continue Chris yeah by now um, by now I have I'm going to teach my first ethics class in a couple of weeks and I created this electronic bingo which by the way I can give you the address of uh it which it says Chris suggests is what one of the bingo squares is Chris goes on a tangent. Okay, think of that. And then another one is Chris suggests a technology toy. 
Chris mentions yet another technology toy. <laughs> Chris adds crap to the curriculum or to the syllabus that wasn't there. Chris forgets about the syllabus. So yeah, like if you want to know what it's like to have a professor with ADHD, you might want to take a class with me. Mm, it's beautiful. I'm I'm excited for us to explore and just see where the conversation goes. Today, we're going to be talking about humanizing the workplace, right? And, 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 and again, the idea of this is how can we explore topics that impact us? How can we explore maybe uh, things that we could be thinking about differently, how we might approach conversation? So as we're exploring this topic, I'll be sure to grab moments to, to reinforce some of those uh, in, insights or practices that come up. There's something, you know, there's something really... <laughs> provocative for me in thinking about the idea of humanizing the workforce, right? Um, you know, given the fact that organizations are largely built up of humans and led by humans and run by humans and, right, and and powered, uh, even those that are in manufacturing or rely on technology. And yet we are in the year 2022, we still have such a long ways to go when it comes to really creating workplaces that work for human. And, you know, when you, when you think of the idea of humanizing the workplace, Chris, what comes up for you? The first thing that comes to mind, even listening to you right now, Sarah, is a little bit of sadness and a little bit of surprise mm. that this mm. should even be an issue. At what point in our history, I'm suspecting industrial revolution, but at what point in our history did we s decide that work and life were separate, mm. had to be balanced, and had to be treated differently, like you, you put on a mask to go to work? Mm. And the behaviors that are expected of you when you go to work are professional behaviors, Hmm. What, what do professional behaviors look like? What does professionalism even mean? Hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking back, um, you know how much I'm a fan of the Game of Thrones, right? Right, like, right. Other than my app, the Game of Sultans, I, I really enjoy <laughs> the Game of, um, Game of Thrones. And I'm teaching an ethics class coming up using the Game of Thrones again. And I was watching this beautiful scene um, in which Catelyn Stark, and if you're listening hmm. to this and you haven't seen the Game of Thrones, you totally need to, um, in which Catelyn Stark, Lady Catelyn Stark, is um, uh, uh, Lady Brienne, who is one of the knights, is is promising, is vowing to serve Catelyn Stark. So it's one of those moments in which a person vows to serve another, right? Mm. So it could, be, it could be a metaphor for somebody hires somebody or somebody says, I'm going to work in your organization. But the dialogue between these two women is... I will serve you and I will help you and I will do everything for you. I can't remember the words, mm. but I remember Catelyn Stark's or the boss's words. And it was, you will always have a seat at my table. I'm, I'm mm. getting goosebumps. Mm. You will always get a seat at my table. I will never ask you to do anything that will bring you dishonor. Mm. And I, I remember those two things. And I'm thinking, what if... When we joined an organization, we really were joining an organization uh, of, of people. We were saying to Catelyn Stark, I will bring myself and my best to you. And Catelyn Stark and the organization would be saying, 
I will never ask of you anything that will bring you dishonor. Mm. And you will always have a seat at my table. And, and to me, what that means is I will think about you as a human being and I will always protect your ethics. What would the workplace be like if we saw <sighs> each other like Catelyn Stark and Brienne Tarth see each other? I love that. I, I love that. I love that so much. You know, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking back to that scene. And as you were first sharing it, that that was my thought, too, is what what would be possible if if there was this, you know, like commitment to each other and not not just transactionally, not a contract, but this commitment to each other to say, hey, we are uh, you are you're giving your most precious resource, which is your time and your energy right? And your thinking and your emotional energy and, you know, all of that. And I see that. And I'm going to make sure that you're always safe, you're protected, you're valued. And, and, and even though it might be, it's, it, gosh, there's so many places, we, you know, we can go, but it, it's so powerful. It seems so simple. And I think your point about that you made earlier is a really important one from the standpoint of, this this interesting separation of here's here's how now for some people they may show up the same good or bad <laughs> at work as they do outside of work mm -hmm. but 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 the separation of what does it mean to be in relationship with each other what does it mean to be you know i would might use like in communion with each other right to collaborate with each other to make these commitments together mm -hmm. um in a way that serves both of us as humans because we know that if I feel taken care of as a team member, for example, if I feel safe, if I know that I have a seat at your table, you're going to get the best of me. And when you get the best of me, guess what? The organization is going to get the best of me. Our clients are going to get the best of me. And yet that's not, that's not norm yet. Yes. Yeah. I'm even going back to like full circle to the very beginning of the presentation when you introduced me with the professional bio, right? Mm. And I came and I laughed and I said, yeah, but that doesn't, that doesn't say. That's not me. That's not me, right? Like that doesn't talk about that. Um, that bio is for public consumption. Yeah. Is what I have to present to the world so that the world takes me seriously. Because if I go out there and I say, hi, I'm Chris. I enjoy tech toys. Um, I love my little dog, Bambi. Um, I'm a little messy. Um, I just discovered I have ADHD and I'm tackling with that. That would not, like, that would not make people um, believe that I can do anything or that mm. I can lead. How sad is that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and also like, and in how many situations can we, you know, not only lead with that, but we can't even exist with that, right? Like we can't even potentially bring that, that those elements of ourselves to, to the, to the workplace. Right. And, you know, again, because of, well, what is professional? I mean, professional is a social construct right? It's just, it's created. It's a, it's imaginary, right? We've created these, what does it mean to be professional? And, and, you know, and let's, let's also, let's name it what it is, right? The, the rules of what it means to be professional in the workplace were largely created by those people who are in power, mm -hmm. which are white men, right? From a standpoint of, of a, you know, like a white dominant culture too. And, you know, so when we talk about, you know, <laughs> I'm excited to get into this with you humanizing the workplace 
isn't going to happen in your strategies, isn't going to happen in your like perfectly finessed, perfectly, you know, I don't know, perfectly edited, edited statements or, or values. Humanizing the workplace uh, shows up in every single interaction we have with each other and how we treat each other and how we care for each other. And, you know, I know in preparation for this, that was something you and I were talking about. And so I'd love to, you know, hear your thoughts from the standpoint of what do you see companies uh, spend time on that gets them away from actually showing up, right? Uh, and creating the safety that we all deserve. I, I'm I'm laughing here because as you're talking about your carefully um, statements, I have such a problem with with three things: mission statements, vision statements, and strategic planning. I can. This is like blasphemy, Chris. You realize, like, there's going to be people who are like, but but here's what I know, or here's what I do, or I make, yeah, yes. Yeah. So I just, I, 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 this is controversial what you're offering here, but I want to explore it. Well, I, I don't, here's the deal. I don't mind that you think about what your mission and your vision is, are. Mission, vision. Sure. <laughs> I, I, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with having an open conversation about what are we all about? Mm. What do we want to do? What do we want to be known for? What, what, how do we want to differentiate ourselves from, from other groups so that there's room for all of us, but each of us could be very good in one thing. We can't be good at everything. Mm. Um, sure, let's have a conversation about where do we want to go? Where do we want to be? Those conversations are powerful. The problem is that instead of having the powerful conversations, what we're doing is worrying about the wording. Mm. So we spend hours and hours and hours pampering that crazy vision statement. I've participated in so many vision statement and mission <laughs> statement conversations in my career. I can't remember a single vision mission statement. I have no idea what the heck the mission and the vision. Sorry, Drake. I don't have the foggiest clue what our mission and vision are. If you ask me, I'm going to have to go to the website. It says something. It looks really pretty. That's not, it's not guiding me mm. because instead I would like to be having more conversations about what are we all about? Mm. For example, in the MSLD, the program that I direct, the Masters in Leadership Development, what are we all about? What do we want to do for the students? What do we want to do differently? Those conversations I'm all for. I don't care if that becomes a mission statement. By the time it's become a mission statement, we'll probably have changed. Right, right. Right. And so, yeah. And so often, like I've, I've, I've seen firsthand, you know, and again, right. Like it is important for us to understand why do we exist and, and what's the impact we want to make and what's the work we want to do. And, you know, and, and also what, uh, what kind of company do we want to be and how do we want to treat the team members who choose to say yes to us? Right. And how do we want to show up, uh, you know, not just for our clients, but also for them. And, you know, and, and uh, a concept that I know you're familiar with uh, that comes from the work of adaptive leadership is this idea of work avoidance, right? That sometimes we will spend time working on something to that actually, it feels productive. Mm -hmm. It sure feels like we're doing something. We're having a lot of those meetings. We're, right, we're, we're finessing, we're making pretty, but really what we're doing is avoiding, potentially, depending on the situation, avoiding like the actual work we need to do, avoiding the real work, or or, or maybe, you know, a, a story that comes to mind, I was working with an organization, and 
there was a, a lot of people on sort of like the second layer of leadership that's like, our, our vision isn't clear, our vision isn't clear, our vision isn't clear. And they just kept saying that, right? So there was all this effort and all, you know, everyone was brought together and we spent, you know, weeks, right? Hours and hours crafting, crafting, crafting this vision statement. And, and the people who said it wasn't clear were part of that. And once it got, you know, communicated, I'll never forget one of the leaders, what, you know, was just like, yeah, I just don't, I don't think it's gonna, I just don't think it's clear. And at that moment I went, hold on. Is it that it's not clear? Cause you actually just spent time, right? Crafting. I mean, you're, you were part of it. And I had this moment and I went, is it that it's not clear or is it that you don't agree with it? And what they said was, I don't think that our senior leadership team can actually execute on that. And that's what they believe our mission is. Mm -hmm. That was the conversation that needed to happen. Right. But we spent all this work avoidance doing, you know, this very tactical response, uh, you know, to, to, yeah, to this situation. When, when people think we, I don't think we can execute it. Um, you probably can't because you, came up with a vision that is not real yeah. or is not complete. It might even be true. It's kind of like my bio in the beginning of our conversation. Mm. It's true. Everything you said is true. It's just not complete. Mm. And perhaps the problem is, you know, we do a lot of work on, on personality and I always say, don't use those super simple personality tools for colors or whatever abomination you, you are trying to simplify things to. Um, yeah, I'm not fond of the colors one, but anyway, <laughs> don't, don't try four box stuff because, and people say, but I want to make it simple. Yeah. And personality is not simple. It's just too complex for you to simplify. Okay. I'm going back to mission and vision statements. Perhaps the problem is that vision and mission are always changing. Hmm. And they are very complex. They include pretty things and perhaps not so pretty things. They can't be put in a mission vision box that will be fun for consumption. Mm -hmm. And the, we might even be able to come up with one statement that kind of symbolizes us, kind of having a color or a logo. But that is not what is really going to give guidance to people. Mm -hmm. There's much more under that mountain. Yeah. We're spending time at the top of the mountain without understanding the mountain. Mm. It's kind mm. of like, I want a helicopter to drop me on the top of the Mount Everest. And I just want to show that that top there, but I don't want to do all the work to get there. Yeah. And I don't want to understand the mountain. I just want yeah. to see a beautiful view. That doesn't work that way. Yeah. And, and yeah, and, and that, you know, I mean, this is something that we're so passionate about in our work is, right, it's one of our core pillars of what it means to be a chronically curious leader is honor human complexity, right? Mm -hmm. That, you know, again, like you said, I mean, I, we want to simplify, we want to simplify the things that are complex and, and, and ever changing and evolving. And, you know, and whether that's with an assessment, you know, to put people in a really simple category, you know, categorization, because that makes us feel good, but, but we're missing this opportunity to pay attention. I, I love your language, Chris, of like, we want to be on top of the mountain, but we don't want to understand the mountain. Right. And it's like, mm -hmm. 
you know, I want to, I want a quick solution to, to the complexity that is you. And, you know, and it's, you know, each human is made up of, right, their personality, their lived experiences, their values, right? And those are always evolving and they're always shifting. And, and, and we, we, and again, it's, you know, to me, I always feel like it goes back to what are the conversations we're having with each other to understand that, right? And to really listen to it and, uh, and to co-create something, right? That serves everyone and not just, not just some, but all, right? Especially as we talk about humanizing the workplace, because the workplace doesn't work for a lot of people. A lot of people, it doesn't. No, no. And I've, I've even had conversations with students on employee engagement, for example. And one student very frankly told me at the end of the, of the whole class about uh, engagement and psychological safety and, and flow and being so in love with your work that it becomes part of your identity and all those good things, right? Oh, sorry, that's Bambi. Hi, Bambi. <laughs> <laughs> Bambi must be very upset at something. Um, so, um, so anyway, my student said at the end, you know what? I don't care about all that. I just want to be paid and I want to be paid well so that on weekends and in my vacations, I can do the stuff that I really want to do. Mm. And what I felt at that moment was profound sadness. Yeah. That this is their life, right? Like this is this person's life. And this is so many people's lives that they had to carve this is what I do for work. And at work, I'm going to wear a mask. I'm going to be professional. I'm going to do professional things. There's Bambi again. Bambi also disagrees. <laughs> we're, we're, we're firm believers on this podcast that life will happen and as much as we want, right? Like, you know, like things to be quiet. Oh, now Buffy's into it. To be perfect. I mean, you know, what's a better human moment than... You got dogs. They're real excited about something. And uh, yeah, so we just embrace that. I think that's the best thing that the pandemic did for us is that we stopped meeting in the in sterile offices. Mm. All of a sudden, our offices became messy because we were at home and, you know, the kids start saying something and the dog and the cat and the whatever. And, and that's in a way, it's so interesting. It just occurred to me that we've humanized work by taking people away from their offices, mm. which mm. is darn fascinating. Mm -hmm. Like all of a sudden our colleagues are human beings. They have kids, they have dogs, they have right. light that doesn't work. They have phone ringing and that is not considered professional. I think you just hit on some, I, like I, I need to pause on that a second, you know, because obviously there's, there's been some, I mean, you know, it's like there's good and they're bad. There's consequences to it, you know, from a standpoint of blurring the lines, maybe not being able to, to separate yourself, per, perhaps even increase judgment or bias, right? Suddenly, if you're in a toxic workplace, it's in your home, your safe, your sanctuary. But, mm -hmm. but then there, there has been incredible benefits of, I mean, because let's, let's be, let's be very clear that uh, so much of how our work is still structured so much of it 
it comes from the industrial age, right? It comes from working with machines. It comes from, right? Like we're all about technical fixes. We're all about efficiency. We're all about, you know, and again, as humans, we're, we, we're complex and there are days when we're tired and there's times when we have, you know, different needs and, or we have different sides of ourselves. And, and it, it is an interesting, uh, a consequence or side effect outcome maybe uh because i'm thinking i'm thinking uh, there was a client we were working with r- real shortly after sort of everything shut down in 2020 and they're doing an all all company meeting and uh, and you know he was a, a you know a younger ceo and literally as they're talking his little two-year-old just climbs on his lap and and i remember thinking and then, of course, everyone's like, oh, hi, you know, saying her name, because clearly this wasn't the first time. And and, and I remember having a reaction of, of like, oh, I, I'm not yeah. used to seeing that, right? Or I'm not used to seeing people in this position be a daddy, be a mommy, be a, right, like an aunt or a dog parent or a cat parent or, or whatever the case is. And, you know, uh, a couple months later, I, I, I remember um, somebody, somebody that we were working with, she said, one of the things I love about working remotely is I get to be my whole self all the time. And I said, say more about that. And she said, when I went to the office from eight to five, I had to disconnect from everything else of who I was, things that brought me joy. And now I can work and I can go garden because I like to garden and I have dogs so I can be a dog parent and I, I'm a daughter so I can call my mom over work in a way that just feels easier. And, and, and it was an interesting idea of I get to be my whole self all the time. That was so provocative for me, right? And maybe that's not, you know, remote isn't for everyone. So I'm, I'm not necessarily you know, saying that, although I think it's, it's benefited, uh, and not every industry obviously can do that. Um, but, but that has always stuck with me of what's the cost to us individually when we have to wear those masks, when we have to shut off who we are. Right. And that, and that, that goes across the board for everyone. And then, right. Like if we look at groups that are historically and systemically marginalized, right, that's even further, right. There's an even greater cost uh, to them when we think about the traditional work environment. There's a lot here. Like, yeah, I know there's, there's a lot to process and there's so much that is going through my mind while you say that. Um, I think the first thing, one question that you asked is what's the cost, right? What's Mm -hmm. the cost to someone if you have to hide part of yourself? Um, I'm thinking of um, like right now I'm I'm working on a book on uh, role uh, role theory, the the role of a leader. And I'm working specifically on The Handmaid's Tale because, of course, Mm. I find another pop. (laughs) <laughs> I love that about you. Right about so it's um, it's going to be called at least the tentative title is against all odds leadership in the handmaid's tale. Mm. Um, and one of the things that I'm looking at is who is allowed to be a leader, who mm. who is a leader, what do we see as a leader, right? What are the roles of the leader? The whole idea that if for people who watch the handmaid's tale, 
they switch. You don't only have one leader. You have a zillion leaders that are, are, are helping each other. And in every leadership movie or movie that you can learn about leadership, you'll see that. There's not only one person. There's, there's the whole flock of geese right. <laughs> Help, helping each other and passing the baton to, to each other, right? So what's the cost, going back to the cost, what's the cost of hiding part of yourself? It's kind of like being an actor who is being given several roles, but almost like in a Twilight Zone show, you have to play the same role. Um, I, I'm also thinking of, uh, uh, what's that film that people every day wake up in the morning and the, so the day starts again? Oh, uh, Groundhog's Day. Groundhog's Day, yes. Yeah. So now imagine that you have, you're a kaleidoscope, Sarah, right? You have you have Sarah who plays the accordion. You have mm -hmm. Sarah, the Nick's wife. You have Sarah, the daughter and the sister and the aunt and the person who loved dip fests. You have the Sarah that I know and the Chris and Sarah who like to buy domain names. <laughs> and then you have the amazing Sarah who does the consulting and who encourages people to be to have a really deep and curious conversations. And Sarah, the author. And the leader of your organization, mm. all of these people are Sarah. But what we're saying is, what I'm saying to you, instead of saying like Cat Stark, you will always have a, a seat at my table, and I will never ask you anything that is that is dishonored, dishonorable to you. What I'm saying is, I am buying eight to ten hours a day of your time, typically more. It could vary, sometimes mm -hmm. twelve, and during those hours you only have to wear one of those Sarah outfits. Mm. You only have one script. Mm. That's the script you have day after day after day after day. You don't get to get out of that script until you go home. Mm. So perhaps the issue is not, is, is remote better or remote not better? Because like you said, remote is better for some people and not for some others. In some industries, it's possible. In some industries, it's not. But it's like, what lessons did we learn from COVID mm. that we could be applying so that people did not only have one script, one Sarah, one mm. hat? And one setting, like think about the scenery, think about a play in which there's only one scenery, guys, you can't move from this setting. Everybody has a cube. How how dehumanizing is a mm. cube? Can we come up with any less <laughs> humanizing thing? That's, that's various shades of oatmeal that will never, ever inspire me. <laughs> no, I look at that thing and my imagination abandons me entirely. Yeah. So what have we done to... It's like we haven't changed since the industrial age. And we're still, what we're doing is creating boxes that look like the Charlie Chaplin movie. Mm -hmm. And we're expecting people to be one person and mm -hmm. have no other sides. And then we publish leadership guides with do one, do two, do three, do four, do five. And I don't know why we still have, you know, can I say bad words in your show or is Yeah, you sure right? can. No, I you can. can. Okay. Yeah. I mean, let's, I don't know how bad we're, well, how bad are we going? Just say it. And then if we have to bleep it out, we'll. Uh, I was going to say just, why do we have still shitty leaders? That's oh yeah, no, leaders. that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> like, why do we still have shitty leaders if we have so many leadership books? And yeah. I would say, well, because the leaders are trying to simplify. Let's go back to complexity. Yeah. They're trying to go to the top of the mountain without knowing the mountain. 
They're trying to do one, two, three, four, and they they are trying to robotize. I don't think this word would exist. <laughs> they're trying to transform real human beings, multidimensional human beings who have dogs like Bambi and whose dog barks in the middle of nowhere and who have kids and who have other passions. They're trying to make them single dimensioned, mm. single scripted. Mm. Because if you're not single dimension, single script, what's my cue? I don't, as it, using yeah. the acting language, I don't know what to answer to you because you didn't use my cue. Mm. And I mm. can't improvise because mm. I haven't been, I haven't, wow. I have not learned to be um, an improvisational leader. I have not learned yeah. yes and. I have not learned to work with work with and embrace real human beings. I have I have learned I have been given instructions to deal with ro- robots just like you get when you buy a new you right. know computer set. And you have not said my cue, so I have no idea what to answer to you. Yeah. I mean, gosh, 100%, Chris, because, and and we, we, know, we know that our brain wants to simplify the complex. Like, we know that about our brain, right? And our brain loves to solve problems. And, and also our culture is set up to reward, well, to reward people who are, like, technically proficient right? Like it's why we end up with a bunch of brilliant jerks who Mm -hmm. have positions of power and authority. And, you know, and instead of understanding and honoring, you know, not only the complexity of others, but also your own complexity, right? You know, self-awareness, like seeking self-awareness still, I mean, it's so important. It's so important for your, your personal well-being and your personal clarity and right. And, and, and how you show up, but it's, like if if I don't understand me and if I if I'm unable to understand like my complexity and sit with my complexity and my emotions, how, how the hell can I show up for you? Right. And it and 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 you know, and some of the things that we see are, you know, things like the uh like, oh, emotions don't belong in the workplace. I can't tell you how many people, how many times I've been told that. And it's like, I know that would make your life easier. Sure would. It sure. I mean, it would be easier if you could just be like, push a button, person do this, right? Like, that's why we like working with machines. But those emotions are there. That complexity is there. That person might be able to compartmentalize uh, something that's happening in their life for a little bit, but it's it's still in them, right? If I'm taking care of a sick parent, that's that's in me. That is in my heart. That is on my mind. That's in my stomach. And And instead of this you know, I think one of the ways we can think about, because uh, I hope there's some people here going like thinking about this and going, well, how do I do it is the the emotions, the human experience are there. And you can choose to ignore it, or you can really work to understand it and, and work to honor it and, and spend that time. You know, when we when, when I think about, um, and there's a couple of things coming up for me, because I'm, I'm also consciously thinking about what are some moments of like reflection questions, maybe people can think about, right, as they're hearing this, right. So if if you are somebody who's listening to this, and maybe you're in a, a workplace that you're struggling, or you, 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 you know, it's, it, you don't feel like maybe it's a fit for you, right, maybe a question to reflect on is like, what's the one role I'm like, what, what are the roles I'm that I'm being allowed to be? And what are the parts of myself that I can't, 
show up in, right? And um, and what and, and am I okay with that? And what's the cost to me, right? Because uh, you know, sometimes I think there are situations where we might not be able to leave the situation because there maybe aren't other opportunities. Maybe I live in a small town and I'm I'm a nurse and there's only one hospital, and so here's where I am, right? And then, but sometimes I think we can box ourselves in and not realize that we could we could go after something different. We could go after another job. Um, I feel like I'm rambling a bit, but that's just because I'm, my brain is moving really, really fast as we as we talk about this. No, you're you're totally not rambling. You are expressing the complexity of the problem. Mm. Like we 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 are so desperate to even talk in a straight direction, right? Like that, even, that's even a the, beautiful catch. You're right. That's like that's I have to. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Right. Like because it's not professional if you don't go straight. If you meander <sighs> a little bit, how many trips have you taken that all your roads were straight? Mm. You can't climb the Mount, Mount, Mount Everest going straight either. I'm mm. not a mountain climber, but I'm, I'm sure you can't. So it's the rambling is just making audible where your brain is going. Mm. You know, um, I think like one reflection um, going from where you were is if you want to humanize the workplace, I think you said something that that reminded me of that is be curious with yourself. I think you said something about Mm -hmm. what roles am I playing? So I would ask people who are listening to us, hey, who are you beyond your bio? Mm -hmm. Right? What's your bio? Take a look at your bio. Mm -hmm. All right. And you know how after I heard my bio, I'm like, okay, what what about my game of Sultan's fashion? <laughs> that, you know, at exactly 10 in the morning, every morning I have to go hunting. Um, like, what what is that for you? What, what is your game of Sultan's? What is your, what are your passions? The things that, what are the things that are not in your bio? Hmm. Who are you as a complete human? Um, who is your Bambi? Who are your... Who are your loved ones? What what happens in your house that is not professional? Take a look at everything about you. And then reflection number two is now remember that everybody, every single person with whom you work has Mm. a world just like that, a different world. There are different mountains. There are different complexity worlds, right? But Everybody has that. And you're only seeing this little piece of it. It's kind of like that story, that old, um, I think, I'm now remembering the book, you know, that story of a bunch of people who saw pieces of an elephant. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they're describing it like, no, it's like a snake and it's a tail and it's no, it's like a tree. And right, they're not seeing the full picture, just what's right in front of them. Exactly. So nobody sees the the exact elephant, right? Yeah. We're doing just that in the workplace. We are allowing people one little cubicle. And by the way, don't make it too personal because that doesn't look professional. So some organizations don't even like people to personalize their cubicles. Oh my gosh, you can't bring your dog or your emotional support animal because what organization would have that? And by all means, wear a a uniform. Even companies that don't have uniforms, they want you to dress a particular way. Yeah, you bet. I I mean, I was told when when I first started uh, speaking, 
I, I had, I had, a, I had a few different people tell me, but I remember one in particular, somebody said, Sarah, people won't take you seriously unless you're wearing a suit. And anyone who knows me knows that I'm not a suit person. So I was like, okay, boy, I best, I guess I should wear a suit. And I'll never forget. I was speaking at a conference and my friend Gina afterwards she came up to me and she said, that was amazing. And you look, you look good, Sarah, but you don't look like you. And it, and it was such a like moment of, right. I, I was feeling like I had to fit myself into a box and then, you know, and then was like, oh, okay. Like I'll make sure I'm clean, you know, like I'll, I'll shower. I will, right. I'll, I'll, you know, I, I won't, I don't inappropriate even that is a conversation, but, uh, but like pushing against those rules we've created, right. These rules we've created for how, how we're supposed to. So anyway, so that's what was coming up for me, but I, I want to go back to what you were unpacking. Cause it was really powerful. Yeah. It, it, it's like, the whole point is that going back to role theory and role theory, by the way, um, famous author, Biddle, um, old 1975, 1979 is some of his writings. And, and then it went on from there. And actually when um, the, the father, I guess, or, or a major pioneer in employee engagement, who is William Kahn wrote about engagement in his um, in in his, I think it was originally his dissertation. He worked from a fellow called uh, Goffman, who's mm. even older, and was all based on theatrical metaphors. Mm. So the theatrical metaphors that I'm using uh, come from role theory and come from Goffman. They use terms such as script and setting, mm. and audience, and and so on. Right. So that's why I'm using that. Um, so going back to that you're only seeing one act of a like one act of a play in which that actor is only interacting with one other actor and you're not seeing anything else you're not seeing any other plays you're not seeing any other sceneries you're not seeing any other moments it's like you got that little piece of the play mm. but you think you understand that person mm. and and we created this whole Broadway setting in our workplaces. It's a pretty boring Broadway setting. It would be a terrible Broadway show. It right. Would <laughs> it wouldn't be interesting uh, at all. It's almost like somebody above said, hey, let's create the most boring, feral-looking, <laughs> ugly-carpeted, excessively cold and sterile place that looks like a dystopian future instead of looking from a place of joy yeah and let's call that the workplace yeah and let's put people in little boxes in there and let's tell them exactly what to wear and by the way we have a very low budget for out for outfits so it, it only has to be that one type of outfit mm -hmm. we can just vary the colors um and and then let's tell them what to say and then we know what to say back because mm -hmm. you know, Memorize. We have the script. We have the script. We have the books to tell us what to do. And then at the end of it all, let's be surprised that engagement hasn't changed. Right. And that people don't feel human. Right. That they don't feel safe. Or the fact that people are, you know, the, re the great resignation is happening. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it's, 
like it shouldn't surprise us, right? And so then, you know, what happens is, oh, our engagement scores are lows. Uh, well, we better do something, right? And we jump to that simplified technical fix. And, mm-hmm. you know, and for me, <laughs> I feel like when I look at the companies that I have the privilege to work with or observe, that I would say, do it better than I've seen it. It always comes to one I, I'm, I'm trying not to oversimplify, but like there's one core consistent thing, and that is a deep care, like a deep care for the people that they work with. Mm-hmm. And and it's consistent. It isn't conditional. Right. And what I mean by that is, you know, sometimes, you know, maybe we'll hear people, uh, you know, maybe they're having high turnover. Well, people just don't want to work or they should just be grateful that they have a job. I mean, these are real things I've heard people say. And it's like, well, that tells me that you don't actually value them as a human. You don't actually value what they're bringing to the table. So is it that they don't want to work or is it that they don't want to work for you and at your company? And like, and not that that's going to be the case for all, all situations, but, um, but the companies that do it really well are the ones who, you know, they understand how important that psychological safety is. They understand and are working to constantly look at what are the ways that we might be creating harm? You know, they, 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 they genuinely, they aren't checking a box when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. They're genuinely doing the work of reflecting and unpacking, right. Their relationship with, with race and power and all of that. And, and it, and again, it comes back to like, and genuine, genuine care. And, and it's interesting because as we've been talking and I hadn't, I hadn't made this connection, but right. That idea of like, what do we lose? You know, we lose our sense of self. I've experienced it. I know you've experienced it. Mm -hmm. I, you know, uh, had to fit into a box was doing a, I mean, even my boss at the time knew that this wasn't a fit, but they were like, we love you and you have so much to offer. We just don't know what the hell to do with you. But like, mm-hmm. I lost a lot of confidence. You know, you hear you hear stories, uh, uh, Minda Hart, who just released this amazing book, uh, Right Within, and she talks about healing from racial trauma and how, how much a, a sense of doubt comes into play, right? When you aren't able to bring your whole self, when you aren't, when, you know, when you're experiencing a, a toxic or traumatic uh, work environment. And the thing that's coming up for me is at work, just as we are in our personal world, we're in relationship with each other, right? It's a, it is a relationship. Mm-hmm. And even though we might think it's transactional or want it to be transactional, we as humans desire, right? Connection and belonging and safety. And, you know, if we, if we look at it through the lens of say like marriages, for example, so uh, Dr. John Gottman, he's a, a, you know, kind of a grandfather, if you will, the Gottman Institute, they do a ton of research on, on, on marriages and relationships. And one of the studies that was so fascinating to me is uh, they, can, they can predict with incredible accuracy, incredible accuracy, how likely it'll end in divorce, how likely it, if it doesn't end in divorce, it, it'll be unhappy, right? Within just 10 minutes of observing a couple incredible accuracy. And, and, and I'm going to share like what they found is like one of the key things, and then we'll apply it right to what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. It was the number of times the people turn towards each other. And what I'm, what I mean by that is not physically, 
but emotionally turn towards each other and their needs. So for example, if you have a spouse that uh, likes baseball, let's use Nick and I for an example. You know, I married into a Kansas City Royals fan. I wasn't, you know, family. I wasn't a huge baseball fan. But let's say Nick's like, oh, yeah, the Royals are on. And my response is to turn away and go, oh, there you go again with the baseball. Oh, here we go again, right? That's a turning away. And and what I'm telling him is he's not important to me. And what's important to him isn't important to me, right? But if I turn towards, it's honoring and acknowledging, right? And getting curious about, maybe celebrating, supporting, oh, this is important to you. So I'm going to like turn towards you. And so, so apply that to the workplace of when, when we don't turn towards each other uh, in our full kaleidoscopic, is that a word? Uh, nature, right? Mm-hmm. We will never have those really deep, like healthy relationships. And, and they don't need to look the same as romantic or friendship or whatever. But my God, if I'm going to be spending 50 hours a week with somebody and you're going to be on my brain for years, I at least want to feel safe with you. I'm pausing here because I'm I'm thinking there are t- two big thoughts in my head from everything that you said. The first is that individualism is not human. Mm. Humans are tribal, right? Mm. Our, our past is is social. Mm-hmm. Um, the culture of complete independence that that we have woven here, um, and that each person is an island, is is not does not match our evolutionary past. Right. The second thing that occurred to me when you said that the people that you worked with, that you, you, you had were lucky enough to work with, I can't remember your words were caring and you didn't really want to oversimplify. Perhaps there are some things in life that are super complex and kaleidoscopic, mm. right? Like understanding the full Sarah, understanding mm. the full dress takes more than just reading a bio. We're we're much more than that. So that part is complex, right? But some things are perhaps simple to be allowed to be complex. Mm. And here's what I mean by that. Um, so you know my daughter Maggie, uh-huh. my, you know, my wonderful daughter Maggie, of whom I'm so, 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 so proud. Um, when Maggie was little, uh, the pediatrician asked us, so what's your, what are your discipline processes, right? Like how, how do you discipline your child? And Mel and I look at each other like, what's that? Like, do you discipline? And, and then he went on like, what are your house rules? And, and then I had an answer to that. I said, okay, we have two rules in the house. Hmm. Rule number one um, is um, you will be kind to people and animals. And rule number two is every wildermuth who needs a hug will get one, no questions asked. I love that. Those were the only two rules, I get a little teary, mm. that I used to bring up my amazing daughter. Those were the only two rules. Now back to the workplace. We will see the whole of you, like I'm imagining mm. Kathleen talking mm-hmm. to Brianna. You're coming to work with me? with me not for me right 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 you're coming to work with me Mm. um we are going to be 
a tribe or a team. You will, I will see the whole of you. You will bring the whole of you. I will bring the whole of me and we will care. Hmm. Everything else, there is no script. There are no books. So that's what I mean by the simplicity hmm. that allows for complexity. My rules for, for Maggie, why were, why, why were those the only two rules? Because pretty much anything can fall into, you will be kind to people and animals. Think about that. Yeah. You're throwing a tantrum at three years old. You're not being kind. You're mm-hmm. being unkind to a friend. You're not being kind, <laughs> right? Like pretty much everything that goes wrong, it's because people are not being kind. Right. So if we actually had a, I would love to see a mission statement like that, a mission statement for each other. Mm. We will see the whole of you. Mm. Bring the whole of you. We will bring the whole of us. Let's add Cat Stark for good measure. You'll always have a seat at my table and you will never be asked to do something that will dishonor you. We will care. Mm. Great. Who wouldn't want that? I know, right? Right? Like who 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 wouldn't want that? And you know, and it makes me think about how many people recently, right, that we've heard from that have left jobs and, you know, because they didn't feel valued, that they didn't have a seat at the table, right, that they couldn't be their whole selves. And, and you know, and, and part of that work is, is, you know, is also the side of it of, and I need to know when I'm not honoring your whole self, or I need to catch when I'm not, or I need to, right, like, because, you know, I think, you know, so many people have right, beautiful intentions. And yet there are things we can do that are harmful intentionally, unintentionally, right. And doing that work of, you know, I, uh, you know, I think about, I think about my vows a bit as we're talking, you know, and and one of the commitments Nick and I made to each other is to start each morning with good intent, and to end each night without regret. And that doesn't mean that there won't be harm. And it doesn't mean that there won't be regrettable events, right? You know, because that's that's also part about being in relationship with each other is like regrettable events are inevitable. But do we do we take the time to repair and heal? Are we able to be open to and receive when we get feedback, right? That's, you know, indicative of us not, you know, honoring the whole person or um, or whatever the case might be, you know, and, and, and I think that for people who are listening to this, the, the, we're, we're big, we're big fans on the team of a courageous audit, right? So it's real easy to be like, yeah, I do that. Yeah, I would do that. Yeah, I, I definitely. But one of the most powerful questions we can ask ourselves is, what are the ways in which I might not be caring for my team members, like the people that I serve, the people that I'm working with. What are the ways and in, in what ways that what am I doing or not doing that might be putting someone into a box, that might be putting them into a role? What are the things I'm doing that might be creating or is creating an unsafe environment? And I, you know, as someone who often is using these questions for myself, that's really hard to ask and it's even harder to answer, but it's so important because if, you know, in creating a workplace for humans, right, we have to own that we're not perfect. We're going to mess up, right? There's going to be regrettable events, but am I, if I'm committed to you, 
then that means I'm willing to do the work needed always to to maintain, right? Like and, and to and to protect that safety for the both of us. Like I I, I wish I would love to see and you know more people reflect on there she is. Hi Bambi. Uh not just like, yeah, but I care. I'm a good person. Because there are times when we're tired and there are times when we're in protection mode and there are times and we have biases and we have been cultivated in this culture, right? This very dominant, you know, like culture where things like perfectionism, right? And, uh, and sense of urgency and no emotions at the workplace and all of this, right? From like, you know, and, and like a white dominant culture of like what corporate America is so founded on. That's in a, you know, I, um, I, I worked, I worked with uh, a, a coach for a while. Uh, and, and one of the things that was so provocative for me, as I was like exploring just my relationship with these rules, right, the rules of what work needed to look like, you know, I told her, I said, what if I'm too empathetic? And she said, well, what would that look like? And is that actually possible? And it was so interesting to like, unpack and it was like, Oh, no, that's and, and, and she's like, you know, these rules, these roles, these scripts, these boxes, she said, if you think of yourself like a garden, and yes, you want to nurture the roses, like you want to be the person who is caring and, and honors complexity and you, you know, like make it safe for people. She's like, so many of those rules and roles and beliefs are the weeds and they're really intertangled with your roots. And it's not enough to pull it out and to say, I don't believe in this anymore. Cause she's like, they're in there. And it's these, it's every moment when you can have a micro incision, you know, and she's like, and it's just going to be micro incision after micro incision uh, until eventually some pieces of it will. But she's like, it's, it's really, I mean, you called me out on it earlier when I was like, oh, sorry, I'm rambling. And you're like, isn't that interesting? That to be effective means we can only talk in linear ways. Like, oh, interesting. Let's, let's cut that little weed out and I'm going to keep cutting it out. And perhaps we need to be gentle with ourselves at people listening to, because what, what is occurring to me when, when you talk about all the weeds and all the rules you were given, all the scripts you were given, all the boxes you were given, we have an entire system that is much bigger than us. Yeah. This is, uh, and to challenge this process is not, will not happen just with Sarah working or Chris working. It's a massive culture change. And culture change is extremely difficult to mm. obtain. What we like, can't just do a workshop and 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 slap up all like words on the wall. Is that what oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, like you have to look at everything, right? Like mm-hmm. one one thing that I was thinking of here is that our time, the way that we measure our time. First of all, we're very rigid with our time, right? Like we have Outlook calendars and and what's the default of Outlook? Half an hour. Hmm. Sometimes it's even 15 minutes, but it's usually half an hour. So it's, you can't understand the kaleidoscope of a person and you can't understand what you've done wrong or in what ways, if you are a leader, you can't understand in what ways you are making somebody unsafe in a half an hour conversation. Mm. You just can't, mm. unless you're some kind of a genius. <sighs> There's Bambi. Uh, Bambi doesn't like that idea either. Um, <laughs> you, you need more time. So then yeah. it's a matter of 
what are leaders being asked to do um, with their time? Mm. How much part of their time, like one thing that I would ask is, how much of your time, leader listening, are you spending controlling people? Mm. Would you spend part of that time understanding people and helping them be safe and creative? Would that reduce the amount of time that you have to spend controlling? Mm. How much time are you being asked to do crap? Sorry. Yeah. Like, yeah. You Tasks. Know, yeah. Like mission statements and things, reports after reports after reports. Like, how much time are we spending reporting? Mm. In fact, even be like a good exercise for people, even though it's painful, to track your time. Use a, hey, I have a, ta- a tech toy. Do you have a that. tech toy for that? We'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> oh, yes. There is, uh, there is something called Toggle. Uh, <laughs> and then there's a free one called Tracker that I use to track my time. And it really helps me. And then you can issue a report at the end. How much time are you actually spending as a leader understanding your people? Yeah. Versus all the other crap that you're probably given to do. And maybe understanding how, like, do an audit of your time for a month. Take a look at that report. Your problem could be right there. Yeah. You are only allowing yourself the time you've gone to see, I don't know, uh, this, the, I'm thinking of the circle of life. <laughs> You've gone to see the Lion King in Broadway. And when they start, ah, you leave. Because that's the only time that you have to look for a microsecond meeting. You didn't see the rest of the show. You have no idea what's happening afterwards. But you went to write a report and then to have a meeting with your boss yeah. and then to have a meeting with the other boss and then to go to a strategic man planning meeting and then to discuss your company's vision. Right. <laughs> That's a good callback, Chris. <laughs> In the improv world, we'd call that a callback. And, 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 and to your point, like, and some of that you might not have control over because of the expectations of the system or the expectations of your leaders. And when we do work, when we do work with, with, you know, uh, teams and, and leaders about, uh, you know, how to build, really build those, those relationships, right. Those commit, you know, that, that, that committed relationship with each other. One of the things we often hear is like, that's just not efficient because again, our culture, right. Mm-hmm. Because so much of our work is, uh, you know, like it's output, it's output, it's efficiency, it's efficiency. And, you know, and, and my colleague, Teresa, you know, she, she made the point one time of like, I hear that, but the more time you spend up front on a relationship, actually the faster and further you can go together. Like when you invest that time, when you take more than the half an hour, when you're, when you really like, it's actually more efficient in the long run to dedicate time to building relationships and understanding your people. And, you know, and we talk about, you know, like remote environments, a lot of companies are are making the shift for the first time. And, and, and that understanding the individual needs is one of the most important skills and muscles they have to build because before when we were in a box, Oh, Chris, this is all coming to me. Like when, when we were in a box and we knew the rule and I knew the task, like I only had to worry about one set of rules for everyone. But now I've got, I've got different needs, right? I've got different challenges I have. And, and so, so it's, it's forcing us 
to have to pay attention to the individual. It's forcing us to pay attention to how we're interconnected, right? It's forcing us to think about the relationship and, and relationships so much are about, you know, like understanding and meeting needs and values and all of that. And, and, uh, and then like, that's one of the big challenges we see in companies that are moving to remote first is like, I don't understand the rules of the game because they're different for every person, you know, uh, or I'm working with people in different time zones now that I never did before. Cause we can open up and we can recruit from wherever. And it's like, yeah, I mean, it, it, this is a beautiful opportunity for us. I think that this disruption has opened up this opportunity for us to finally be as intentional about our relationships as we should have been before, but now it's like a non-negotiable. Perhaps one question that we can ask is, how efficient would you be? Can you envision a world in which you spent no time in control? Mm. Control has just disappeared from your life because you spent so much time on relationship and psychological safety and inclusion and a world in which your people are giving, putting their swords at your feet and saying, I am totally committed to you. Mm. Um, you've created an environment in which that person feels safe to be them. Mm. Yeah, that takes time. Mm -hmm. It takes work. It takes real work. Um, but now you no longer have to control everything the person is doing. Right. Because it's going to happen. Right. And it's going to happen more brilliantly than there's going to be a tree from that box and mm. not just the little grass you thought would grow there. Mm. Like not only you don't have to control what you ask to the person to do, what the person will do will probably surpass your wildest imaginations. 100%. So that organization now is an organization of humans who are allowed to be freaking brilliant. Yeah. Each of them with their entire selves, because you took the time to follow one simple rule. Mm. Thou shalt be caring. Yeah. Chris, ah, I love it. We could keep going on, but we won't because I know we'll have you back. Um, <laughs> I do. There's a question that I ask all of our guests, and I want, I'm, I want to give you some space to respond to that. Uh, you know, as we think about the conversations we have with ourselves and others, and how that can shape, right, our world. What is a conversation that you've had with yourself or with someone else that was transformative? So I can think of, uh, like, even when we think about the conversations with ourselves there, uh, lately I've taken into um, another tech toy, um, <laughs> VR <laughs> Quest 2 has a meditation tool that asks me, amazing questions every morning. And those conversations with myself are really cool. But talking about the workplace, um, there was a situation in which me and another uh, co-worker um, who happened to be, I reported to them, uh, we had a terrible relationship. I was always, it's almost like whenever I see that person, I would get all my weapons out. Mm. I don't do weapons, but, you know, all my psychological mm -hmm. weapons. I would put an armor around me. I would protect everything so that the only Chris she sees is the one on that biography. 
And even that biography might be too long. I've been told that I meander some. So let's make sure that that biography is absolutely succinct. And I was getting more and more narrow, more and more Mm. little, more and more flat in order to interact with them. And of course, that was making me acutely anxious and uncomfortable. And then in order to protect myself, I kept bringing weapons out. Mm. Um, And of course, I don't know what was going through their head, but their relationship with me uh, was, was clearly uncomfortable to them as well. And what it took was a third party, a, another person who, who knew us both and who liked us both and who thought we both were amazing humans and who couldn't understand why we were like fighting a buck in a boxing ring every time we met. Hmm. It's like, what's up with these two? Um, they're perfectly lovely people outside of whenever they're with each other, they're nasty. Like, what sure, the heck? Yeah. Right? And um, this person led a conversation, like facilitated, mm. mediated a conversation between us. And we realized in that conversation that both of us were running, were had all sorts of bad assumptions about the other. Like, I thought she hated me. Well, I gave it a she. Uh, it was a she. I thought she hated me because um, of some things she had said. In reality, it was somebody else who had said them. She was just trying to protect me and and trying to intercede. Um, There were all sorts of things that she was no, she had no clue were bothering me. Mm. They did not bother her. They bothered somebody else, like some higher up told her to tell me, you know, Mm. one of those things. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking she's going to the higher up speaking against me. And in reality, she is just trying to protect me from the higher ups. Mm. Like there were all sorts of assumptions. And ever since we had that conversation, that open conversation in which I said, I'm annoyed, I'm pissed, I'm hurt, I'm blah, 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 blah. I vomited <laughs> the entire Chris. Um, and she's like, uh, no, that's not true. And blah, blah, blah. We've had a beautiful relationship ever since. Hmm. The most supportive. We're still very different people. We still have yeah. very different personalities. But it's been lovely. It's been supportive and lovely. And it's, you know, a colleague that I will, that I really deeply respect and will always cherish having worked with. And all it took was one person to say, let me sit these two humans down because there's something wrong. Yeah. And, and also the willingness on both of your parts to receive it. Right. And to be open to that and to go, this relationship matters enough for us to figure this out. I love that. I love that so much. And uh, I'm assuming there will be a lot of people who might resonate with that story. Chris, it's been such a pleasure. I assume there will be people. People will want to know how to connect with you. So what's the best way to connect with you and the work that you do? Uh, Well, uh, I would say uh, feel free to contact me in my uh, personal email, which is chris at theleadercampus.com. You can reach me out on LinkedIn uh, if you want to send me a message or whatever. I think those are the two best ways to connect yeah. with me. Perfect. Um, or connect with me through you. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm always open to fun conversations. We will put, we'll put all of Chris's contact information in the show notes. I highly recommend that you connect with her. Uh, I know that she's very active on LinkedIn and, uh, and is just a, a wealth of knowledge. I know that I am, I am certainly different and better 
because of knowing you. And I hope you all feel the same after this conversation. So Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Sarah. That was absolutely great. (laughs) That's so much fun. It was. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Conversations on Conversations. I know that I thoroughly enjoyed the opportunity to connect and explore this topic with my colleague, Dr. Chris Wildermuth, as we explore the idea of humanizing the workplace. And something something I'm going to hold on to was that moment when she caught me apologizing for how my brain works, uh, you know, because some some elements of our sort of dominant culture of communication comes from a very neurotypical way of communicating and thinking. And for those of us who are are neurodivergent, right, from an ADHD perspective, from an autism perspective, our brain just works differently. And I just thought that was a really beautiful catch about honoring the complexity of humans. So that was a real gift that she gave me. For more information on how to hold deeper, more meaningful conversations with others in your workplace, or if you would simply like to connect with us, please visit us at sarahnollwilson.com. You can also connect with me on social media. You'll find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Just search Sarah Noll Wilson. You can also pick up a copy of my newest book, Don't Feed the Elephants, where books are sold to help you overcome your art of avoidance. If you liked what you heard, and want to support this work, I invite you to please visit us on patreon.com backslash conversations on conversations, where not only your support will sustain this podcast and the amazing team behind it, but you'll also get access to just some, you know, fun swag and also content specific things that will only be available for our Patreon supporters. If you have questions, if you want to share with us what resonated, or if you're curious about what other cool tools and technology that Chris is following uh, following lately, uh, we would love to hear from you. So you can email us at podcast at sarahnollwilson.com. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at convos on convos. Please rate review and subscribe to the show. That is what helps us uh, know what is working. It also is what helps us get exposed to other people. You can do so on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. And if you're enjoying the show, if you're learning something, if there's something about this that is resonating for you and you think others might enjoy that as well, please help us spread the word. You can tell a friend, you can post about it on social media, you can hire an airplane to, you know, do a cloud, <laughs> a cloud design, uh, whatever feels right and real for you. We want these conversations to reach as many ears as possible. So helping people find the podcast is another great way to show your support. Finally, a shout out to our incredible team who makes this podcast possible. While I am the face and the voice right now, you see big shout out to Drew Knoll and Nick Wilson for editing and producing the show to Olivia Reinert for helping us with transcriptions and Caitlin Summit Nelson for all of your marketing support. And a final thanks to Dr. Chris Wildermuth. She is a wealth of knowledge. She is uh, somebody who lights up my eyes and pushes me to think beyond what I could ever think is possible. And I always learn something incredible when I'm in conversation with her. And just finally, when we can change the conversations that we have with ourselves and with others, we can change the world. So with that, thank you all so much.